Sunset Lake CBD is a majority employee-owned hemp farm located right outside of Burlington, Vermont. Before they started growing hemp, Sunset Lake Farms produced cream for Ben & Jerry's. Sunset Lake CBD doesn't use any pesticides or herbicides to grow any of its hemp plants, and they use organic fertilizer and other sustainable farming techniques to ensure the long-term health of the soil and to minimize their carbon footprint. So like all of us, my days are really stressful. By the end of the night, my kids are in bed, I'm taking a minute to chill, but I'm still unwinding. I recently started using the Relax Gummies infused with CBD isolate, reishi mushroom extract, and ashwagandha root extract. I'm really glad I tried these because they really helped me get ready for a good night of sleep, and I really think I sleep better, so I'd highly recommend it. Check out Sunset Lake CBD today at sunsetlakecbd.com and use the code UNDERMINE for 20% off your order. That's sunsetlakecbd.com and use the code UNDERMINE for 20% off your order. Farmer-owned, Vermont-grown, Sunset Lake CBD. Hey everyone, it's Cam Hurt, host of the Best Show Ever podcast, and we have got a second season coming out very soon that I am very excited about. We've got some very cool special guests, including musical acts that we all love, like Karina Reichman, Daniel Donato, Jake Brownstein from Eggy, Rick and Peter from Goose, and many more. Tune in for new episodes dropping on Osiris Media March 5th on the Best Show Ever podcast. Osiris. Welcome to season four of the Undermine Podcast by Osiris Media. I'm Tom Marshall, and I'll be your host as we revisit, relive, re-listen, and maybe redefine Fish's fabled Fall 97 tour. That's the now legendary tour where, according to the band's marketing materials at the time, their hands were faster than guns. And with those, they destroyed America. Well, within the context of the traveling rock and roll circus, that was Fish Tour Fall 97. Today's co-host is my favorite co-host of all time, according to a guy named Benji Eisen. And my co-host today is Undermine Ghostwriter and fellow executive producer, Benji Eisen. Hi, Benji. Hi, Tom. Did you write that line or was I taking dictation? <laughs> <laughs> um, well, all that aside, we don't, we're going all completely off the cuff here, right? There's no writers. Um, exactly right. <laughs> um, and I'm supposed to ask you one thing, though. What is the one thing Fish and the Grateful Dead have in common? And this is not a joke. Well, I am so glad that you asked that. <laughs> uh, in the in the end, uh, you know, it's not the type two jams or the two sets or the culture that unites the two bands. Instead, it is just this one little fact. And that is that both the Grateful Dead and Fish have performed at Hampton Coliseum exactly 21 times. Now, of course, that uh, will hopefully date this episode as everyone continues to hold their breath for a Hampton return. I know that I'll take a spring sit back, please. <laughs> uh, okay, so I guess we're starting the rumor. Yeah. Uh, th- then I'm going to immediately, once we hear from management, immediately dial back the rumor and qualify <laughs> it as just wishful thinking. So therefore, everyone, mark my words, fish may or may not play Hampton Coliseum this spring. Um, <laughs> the only thing we know for certain is that Fish absolutely 100% 
was there 25 years ago today. And so was I, and so was our guest. But first, in the words of Elvis Presley, who, by the way, performed five sold-out shows at Hampton Coliseum, let's TCB. That doesn't stand for Tom something Benji. It stands for taking (laughs) care of business. So here it goes. If you're enjoying what we're doing on the show, please consider subscribing to and supporting our new Osiris Premium offering, which you can join for just a couple bucks a month. You will get bonus episodes of HF Pod and Undermine. You'll get ad-free episodes. You get access to the full archival under the scales catalog. Wow. Distance on Osiris merch. Yeah, there's a lot of those episodes back there that are just awesome to go back and listen to. Um, you get meet and greets, AMAs, the opportunity to guest on our shows. How do you think I got here? <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, check out OsirisPod.com backslash premium or click on the link in the show notes. Um, oh, and Tom, there's one more thing. Yes. So we know that you, and by you, I'm now talking to our audience. Everyone has a lot of memories of these Fall 97 shows. Um, You know, we have received so many messages asking, uh, you know, people that want to share their stories and come on the show. And uh, we want to hear from you. So the best way to do this is if you could send us a video clip of you talking about these shows, keep it to 60 seconds max. That's one minute long. I don't know how to do that. (laughs) Post them on Instagram. Twitter, Facebook, tag Osiris Pod, and um, we will choose a contributor at random who will then win, drum roll, uh, a handwritten copy of the Lairds to Ghost from our friend Tom Marshall. Um, See, Tom, you're a ghostwriter too. (laughs) (laughs) And you're going to tell us about our guest today. Uh, As far as being a ghostwriter, my ghost was friendly, so I'm actually a friendly ghostwriter. (laughs) <laughs> there you go. <laughs> um, today's guest of honor is Craig Hillwig, who you probably follow on Twitter, Benji. Uh, I do, and you probably do too, actually. I, I definitely do. Um, he's Chillwig, by the way, on Twitter. Um, Craig is a longtime fish fan, a taper, a friend, and a contributor to Under the Scales, Undermine, and HF Pod. And he's also the person who originally connected me and RJ. So without him, I guess maybe Osiris wouldn't be here. So you can blame him or thank him, depending on your take. Let's bring him in from the waiting room. He's here. Hi, Craig. How are you? Hey, Tom. Hey, Benji. Thanks for having me on. How are you guys? Uh, we're fantastic. And thank you so much for coming on. Uh, Craig, we're going to jump right in. Um, give us some of your own personal backstory that brought you to Hampton. Coliseum on this night, uh, 25 years ago, 11-21-97. How long had you been seeing fish by this point? By this point, I had only been seeing fish about two years. My, my first show was December 95. So I got on, I was one of the deadheads who jumped off. So maybe that's why Hampton kind of held a sort of a special mythology for me, because as a deadhead, you know, Hampton was a Mecca uh, even before there was a fish or at least before we knew of fish outside of, of uh, you know, small Northeast college towns. But yep. this was not my first time to Hampton either. So I I did not go to the Warlocks. Unfortunately, I had a test. Um, so we all know how that worked out. But um, I finally made it there to see the dead in in 92 uh, caught a couple of shows there that spring. Uh, I caught I caught Jerry Band there. Uh, saw Clarence play with Jerry Band there. Oh. That was really awesome. Uh, fast forward, I think uh, 
My first time seeing fish there was 96. We drove down for a, for a one-off, um, you know, kind of an unremarkable show. But, uh, you know, by the time 97 rolled around uh, and they announced two shows, as soon as I saw that, it was two shows. That was a no-brainer. Um, one shows, it's a long drive. It's yeah. a real, real long drive. Were you taping at the time? I was. I was. So, you know, I was looking for opportunities to tape fish. And uh, the the fall tour was kind of strange. Um, the way they routed it started way out west, then came out to Hampton, then came up north, then, then went out midwest. Uh, so... You know, there was there was a few opportunities for me to to work in some shows and and it ended up being for me Hampton and the two Philly shows, of course, for the hometown run. You know, I mean we're tracing the the uh the tour, and so it's interesting that you know the routing is exactly as as you as you remember it. Um it's also interesting. I'm glad that you brought up the fact that uh, you know this was their first two-night stand at Hampton. I remember specifically not going down to the one the year before because it was uh, such a Hall for me at the time living in Pennsylvania, and this was the first time when we really took over. You know, it was a it was a total takeover of the whole area. Uh, you know, uh, being the whole weekend there, and we kind of us being you know fish fans kind of descended on to space uh, spaceship fish, and then we called it the mothership and all these other things. Um, but this was you know six shows into the twenty one show tour, and as you said, it you know kicked off out west in Las Vegas uh, just a week earlier. Than this night, and since this was, you know, before the age of live fish, before we could have pocket downloads, was this the first fall '97 fish that you actually heard? You know, I, I'd have to think about that. I, my guess is that that early in the tour, I would have to say yes. It was not uncommon for me to get dats of the first few runs of uh, shows of a tour mailed to me on the road either because I was involved with a, a tape tree or something like that at a top level. So, you know, we always had uh, mailers with us on the road. And, you know, after a run, it was not uncommon to just, you know, drop either a set of backup masters in the mail to somebody and they would get the copy and going. Um, that was, you know, the way it was for uh, for summer 97, because we were getting Europe tapes shipped to us every week. And by the time uh, Virginia Beach rolled around, at least I had heard all the new songs. So when they came out and they, they opened up with a huge ghost, it was unsurprising and it was exciting. And it was exactly what I, I had hoped that we might get, even though we didn't know. But, you know, that that prompted me to drive all the way down to Virginia Beach just to catch the opener. In fact, I think it was... I think it might have been your tickets, Tom. You were supposed to go and you couldn't go. And I ended up going with with our friend Andy. Uh, uh -huh. But anyway, um, you know, I was hoping that a little bit of the Hampton magic would rub off into Virginia Beach. And it was. It was a great show. We we know it, it, it subsequently, recently over the pandemic, became a uh, dinner in the movie release. And uh, they also uh, remastered the audio and put that out. Just a tremendous show if you haven't checked it out already. And it was, you know, the first sort of glimpse that the United States got of, you know, what ultimately we would get that fall. Definitely. And let's just plunge into the first set. They they open they open the run 
by debuting um, their cover of Emotional Rescue. Um, and I personally, uh, I had I had friends at, at high school that were totally into Some Girls. And then I think Emotional Rescue came out directly after that. And Correct. it was sort of a disappointment, the album was. The song, though, was great. But I don't think the album, like Some Girls, every song on there is amazing. And then this one, uh, to at least to to the party crowd I was in, it wasn't the party album that some girls, but I did know the song and I was very surprised. They continue, you know, Fish funks it out for 17 minutes. Um, were you familiar with the song and what were your immediate impressions? Sure. I was, I was familiar with the song, you know, I'm a couple years younger than you. So, you know, for us, you know, emotional rescue was that, that weird album before some girls, which was uh, before you know, some girls, it was, or well, it was after some girls, was right? That, yeah. It came You're, between right. some girls and tattoo you. Yes, yes, yes. So and uh so so we knew emotional rescue, but that was really about it because we really didn't listen to the whole album. Exactly. <laughs> but <laughs> you know, I was really excited. I jumped straight up in the air. But you know, if you listen to the audience tape, you know, the crowd. You hear, I listened to my audience tape. First of all, the, 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 uh, pre-show music, I had to, I had to look it up because I didn't know it, it was, um, it was, uh, Lucius Jackson, rock freak. So, you know, if you can imagine the, the hullabaloo in Hampton and, and you hear rock freak and, and then the lights go down and people are going nuts because it's the first night of Hampton place is going bonkers. And band takes the stage, a little bit tuning up noises. What's it going to be? What's it going to be? And fish drops and boom. And it's like the air drops out of the room. It is <laughs> silence on the audience tape. Nobody <laughs> knew what it was except for like all the old dudes in the taper section. Basically, See, that's uh, funny because, uh, you know, I wasn't, I was one of the silent ones. Silent ones. I remember thinking, you know, I wasn't familiar, I was familiar with the Rolling Stones, but you know, like the radio stuff. So I wasn't familiar with Emotion Rescue. Um, we couldn't get notifications on our phone. So I have no idea uh, how or when I found out that there was a Rolling Stone cover. I think it was, you know, during the rendition, maybe I took Trey's advice and asked the guy next to me. Um, but by six minutes into it, it's clear that we are in the jam zone. go right from the song right into what was certified cal funk and by certified i mean they had been playing funk beforehand uh, as you know we've detailed even in 95 with some wolfman brothers but cal funk really you know refers to fall 97 uh i think it was coined for the fall 97 tour um so right out of the gate we're getting this cal funk and you mentioned the virginia beach show i mean i remember it at that night 
and I, I like you, I had heard the tapes of Amsterdam and I had heard, you know, the summers of some of the, some of the new material, but I think all of the new material, but there are friends of mine that night that said, that's it. What happened to our band? You know, that's now they're just a funk band. I don't understand. And, um, you know, it, at this point, you know, 10, 15 minutes into this song, first set opener of this big run, many people, most people in the building, it's their first night on Fall 97 tour. Was it obvious to you at this point that there was some kind of change in direction like uh, or a focus musically? I, I don't know if there was more of a, a change or a focus musically, but, you know, this wasn't the first show where they they just opened up with a big wild card, huge jam, uh, which, you know, that was kind of new to us. I mean, that was not a traditional sort of opener format for them. So in that regard, it was different. And and the funk was different too. You know, this was not just, you know, the sort of bare staccato funk of, of the summer. This was, this had droning delay loops and, and all sorts of stuff going on sort of in the background. So like at the six to seven point minute that uh, of the emotional rescue, it's not just funk, it's it's going somewhere that's completely fish and not just a cover of, you know, Rolling Stones, 1970s, white boys, golden years, funk type thing stuff which is what we thought we were basically getting when the song started we didn't think they were going to jam it out that long uh it was it was a cover song and they didn't do that with cover songs at least not back then so was do we really see anything significant about it no but we thought it was really cool and then it dropped right into split open and melt which was such a perfect pairing and that was a song that everybody knew. So all of a sudden Hampton went nuts again and, and we were back, back into a fish show. So from a lot of people's perspective, you know, it was a, it was an interesting gimmick. I, we didn't see it as, as indicative of something larger, not like we did, you know, the second set of, of this night and the next night. Uh, Craig, um, when you described your reaction to this song, being one of the few people in the room knowing what it was, um, it kind of reminded me of uh, Craig is magic at early detection and early identification of songs, especially ones that come out of left field. So I know exactly his reaction to this before anyone knew what was going on. He was jumping out of his skin. Um Craig, I was standing next to you when you did that. And I don't know if you remember when it was another time fish open with a cover and we were in San Francisco. Oh, it was, it was the encore for oh, encore at Bill Graham, the third night. Yeah. yeah. And we were sailing all day and we were thinking, Hey, wouldn't that be cool if, you know, they play ride captain ride because, you know, we're <laughs> these old men sailing under the San Francisco Bay. Yeah. And then we completely forgot about it because yeah. the show they dropped was so deliriously good. Yeah. <laughs> and we're like, what could they possibly play for an encore? Both of us forgetting what we had secretly hoped for. And then you get Ooh. what you secretly hope for. It's like, Willy Wonka and the chocolate factor. <laughs> he is so Willy Wonka. And you have a Willy Wonka mustache right now, I might add, for those of you 
Uh, I, actually, uh, I don't know if Willy Wonka has a mustache. No, but I'm I'm getting ready for uh for Tab and Goose tour, so I've got I've got my <laughs> my goose stash going. And and Benji's and, always ready for Tab and Goose. <laughs> uh, so after that surprise opener, like you said, or, or, or at least always ready for Willy Wonka. I'm sorry to. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, we know that. We know that. Um, we won't talk about the candy bar. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, like you said. Fish launches into an energetic, funked out, split open and melt. And um, before we go to break, what else do you like or what's worth mentioning about this first set, Craig? You know, I listened to the show several times to try to think about something else good to say about the first set because, <laughs> you know, it quickly devolved into, you know, here's here's some of the new tunes. Here's, here's a couple of short new tunes. But the thing that really grabbed me was the, the Caspian to close the set. Mm. This is uh, again like a, another evolution of Caspian after some of the the really sort of raucous, clangy, loud, like just wave of sound, massive Caspians from fall of '96, like like Halloween and stuff. You know, this one was a little bit more ethereal and dreamy, and and uh, I remember that the you know it ended with this this like cascade of delay loops and they left the stage and the loops are still going. And then the lights came up and the loops are still going. And we're like, is it over? Do we, do we, do we start, you know, our set break? And then finally the music came down. And, but uh, I do remember that vividly and it, and it holds up on tape too. Um, maybe we can uh, post a link to the tape and uh, you know, people can listen to the audience and, and the, the crowd go flat what, <laughs> promotional yeah. rescue one one thing i gotta say um uh, about that when you you said they they kind of left the stage and the tape loops were still going um you just reminded me of um amsterdam at the at the milky way the Melkweg, where uh is the first time i i think i i think that was the first time fish played in amsterdam i was there yes. and um uh at set break fish came out kind of side downstage and partook in Amsterdam's legal um, recreational activity. And uh, they all did a prodigious amount talking to to, to fans. And um, they went back on. And I remember there was a delay loop where the whole band left the stage because Fish was playing along with it with his eyes closed. And they didn't know, he didn't notice that they left. <laughs> it was uh, unbelievable. And he played for, probably a good like three minutes before he finally opened his eyes and looked around. I was like, Oh, and, and also slowly kind of sheepishly walked off. But anyway, uh, that's amazing. Uh, and Craig, I agree with you with the, with the rest of that set. I remember at the time being very satisfied, you know, um, and the Prince Caspian, which I've always been a fan of, uh, and I've always defended. And it, it's not really something I would think of as a set closer, but it worked here perfectly. You know, it, it, it kind of with the, Emotional Rescue being a very laid back kind of groove that they settled into with the Cal Funk and then closing with the Caspian, I thought was great. Um, I want you, obviously, Craig, to stick around and also everybody else that's listening because the real headline here is the second set and we are about to dive into it. But first, it is time for some more TCB, which means that we will BRB. <laughs> we'll be right back. 
Hey listeners, I want to tell you about one of our great partners, DistroKid. DistroKid makes music distribution fun and easy with unlimited uploads and artists keeping 100% of their royalties and earnings. If you're a musician and looking to get your music out there, DistroKid is the way to go. DistroKid is available for iOS and Android and is now available in Apple's App Store and the Google Play Store. More than a million artists rely on DistroKid to get their music onto Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube, TikTok, Tidal, Instagram, and all other major streaming services. And with DistroKid, you can upload new releases, see your financial progress, get notified when you've earned royalties, withdraw money from the app, view and share links, check your streaming stats, and a whole lot more. DistroKid has more features than any other music distributor. Check them out today. Go to distrokid.com, that's distrokid with a capital K, dot com slash VIP slash undermine for a special offer only for our listeners. That's distrokid, capital K, dot com slash VIP slash undermine. Thanks, distrokid. Welcome to us talking about our podcast for a minute. What's the name of that podcast? That's Axe to Grind, uh, and right now you're going to be getting a little... A little taste of it, right down to the shaking microphone and all. And my name's Bob. And my name's Patrick, and usually we're joined by Tom. Tom's the best. Tom has a real grown-up job that requires him to be at work, but we talk about decidedly not-so-grown-up things like... Hardcore music and things that people that like hardcore music tend to like. So that could be the latest shows, uh, revisiting classic material, talking about the new classics... Um, all the little dorm room nonsense that you imagine from a niche music podcast that, that you either love, want to love, or hate. Yeah, imagine all the emotions that you have towards a genre that, that uh, has impacted your life uh, and then condense them down to an hour to two hours a week. So triangulate your speakers. Think about jumping off the bed, singing along, dancing like an idiot and listen to Axe for Grind podcast. All right. We now TCB'd, and we are back. Uh, Craig, I'm not that much of a ranker, but I know that you are in that you enjoy ranking things. <laughs> and we probably should have asked you where you place Undermine in the music podcast rankings before inviting <laughs> you on. But since you're here, um, where do you rate this Hampton Night One show in relation to other Fall 97 shows? Uh, that's really tough because the tour is is so tightly tightly packed. I mean, if you follow uh, some of the more prominent rankers on Twitter, you know you, you see people dealing with like gaps between clusters of shows and tiers, and and fall or fall ninety seven really doesn't break down that way. But this one is is kind of squarely in the in the middle. It's it's you know, it, it, it's arguably not as good as the the ones that came before it, and it's arguably not as good as as at least the the two that came after it. But it's still really, really good. And you may differ just because of what you value about shows, whether it's set lists or songs or or things like that. But in terms of playing quality and 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 craftsmanship of 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 jams and and uh, energy um i gotta say that most of the rankings of this show probably uh 
they probably pad it for Hampton and and more objective view would probably put it like right in the middle, I would say of, of the fall. That's, that's interesting because I, I have a very, you know, I, I hold this second set in high esteem, but I also hold fall 97 in high esteem. And, and I think you are right. I mean, there's something to be said. There are some jams here that are just, you know, hold up 25 years later, which is why we're talking about it. But within the context of the whole tour, it might be, it might be middle ground. And that's a, a, a good point for us to go into this second set because the ghost here, um, it's worth mentioning that, you know, in some ways, Ghost was kind of the Fall 97 signature tune, right? Um, and I say that because, you know, as you as we mentioned earlier in the in the program, it was a new tune, came out that summer, uh, you know, it was in Virginia Beach for its US debut. Um, and it was a great showpiece for what the band was calling Cal Funk, you know. Um, but this version in hindsight is sandwiched by the legendary ghost of note 1117 denver which trey just talked about on here um and 1128 in worcester which we are going to talk about a lot next week so it you know it, it works as a great second set opener here and the band immediately kind of since the jam straight into what we now know of you know what we now call cal funk but 25 years later we're not really talking about this ghost um, so why is that when we talk about the show, do you think it was overshadowed by the other ghosts or was it overshadowed by what was to come? Cause it is, if you listen to it by itself, it holds up as a great version. It does. And, and, you know, there's, there's lots to commend to it. Uh, and it differs, I think, meaningfully from the other two fall 97 uh, versions that you mentioned in that you can sort of see, hints of of where ghost was going to go in 98 um and a little bit more of the ambient jamming and and more reliance on on delay and loops um you know ultimately to the point where they they take a delay loop and make it the the first sound you hear on the song on the album and going forward for every version think maybe starting what fall 98 on out you know, Ghost didn't start with a beat and a bass. It started with just this little wine coming out of the ether. And and you can hear hints of that in this Ghost Jam, that, that proto-mature Ghost, the idea is there. You know, if you're a size queen, it's 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 shorter than the other ghosts you mentioned. And if you like uh, a little bit more of that sort of impactful tension and release jamming, you know, the other versions have more of that. Uh, But, you know, this one has the most amazing transition into uh, ACDC bag. 
that uh, neither of the other two have. So, I mean, and as part of the set, going from uh, Ghost, ACDC bag through Slave, it, it really just holds together as as a as a complete piece of music. Even though you might say there's better versions of each of those songs, uh, other spots of the tour, that three song unit really holds together and just resolves really nicely at the end of slave. So, and, and without the ghost setting that up, you know, it's, it's not the same. So it's definitely worth a listen, but you know, it's, it's worth a listen as, as part of that whole. Yeah. I was going to ask you specifically just because you you mentioned size queen and the length of, of songs and stuff sometimes draws people to it. And, uh, you know, when I've been studying songs or, or sets, I look at, you know, I look for the longest, I look for jam charts, I look for that stuff. ACDC popped out, ACDC bag popped out. Um, but you say that without the the intro and, you know, the first and the last song in that in that trio that you necessarily wouldn't wouldn't rank this one super high. Right. It's almost like, you know, like like Tim Acero, like took the ghost from 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 one session and, and, and made that the beginning and, and like created a Sonata out of it and put this big ACDC bag showpiece. And then, <laughs> you know, the, the, the slave to end it. Um, I, it just, but it came together organically and, and it, it really works nicely. Um, but, you know, I, I don't think, you know, the ghost isn't going to make anybody's, you know, top X list of ghosts to definitely check out. Got it. But for, for the ACDC bag though, uh, it might make some top lists. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I just love how, you know, the, the ghost is sort of just swinging along at the end. And then, and then Trey, Trey kind of locks into this nice sort of, sort of G and he's just sort of strumming along and he's G G. And then, he like modulates to A and you're just like, ah, and then all of a sudden you're like G A and you're like, wow, that's how, you know, you're into ACDC bag right there. And it really works nicely and it's seamless in its execution. And it was slow enough in real time that everybody kind of got it and was able to latch on. So, you know, crowd goes wild and, and it's a really great, great listen. Again, you can you can you can say, well, you know, I, I like, you know, twelve thirty ninety seven better, uh, but this one just really uh, focuses in, I think, on the the cow funk. Maybe I'm going to say, you know, you can start to hear maybe a little bit of the sins of the cow funk. 
<laughs> this version, but uh, you know, it is pure cow funk, I think, in a way that 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 the others aren't, except for maybe like uh what was the one that went into the psycho killer? Uh is that Auburn Hills? Uh from Dayton, maybe. Dayton. Yeah. So uh, but it's just a monster jam from from front to back. Uh really, you know, takes its time uh developing and really doesn't force any ideas. I think as a result that it doesn't it doesn't you know reach any uh unreal peaks either um but it holds together and it it flows again nicely into slave and it, it was you know 25 minute dance party which of course that was a, a focus of the band at this point was keeping everybody dancing but also these four song second sets uh became a thing and that it was the band's third four song second set and just six nights and you know nobody expected to be walking out of a show Going ACDC bad was, you know, the talking about that as the as the jam highlight for the night. Um, but the the phrase and the concept of the four song second set became uh, some type of signifier. Like, you know, you talk about size queens, it's like the mythical 20 minute mark for an extended jam. You know, it doesn't guarantee anything, but it can definitely indicate something. A four song second set sometimes can actually indicate that it was a short set. <laughs> um but I remember walking out of Hampton that night, and that's what we were talking about. We said they did four songs, and none of those were the none of those four songs were the tweezers or the the big ones that you'd expect to be. And you know that way, you, we realized that any song can fulfill that. If it's ACDC bad, so be it. But you know the four song second set was what everyone I remember at the Holiday Inn bar talking about. Um, was that something that you were talking about with your friends that night after the show? Well, I re- I remember. I remember hearing about it, you know, even before that in, in connection with the first set of Denver, you know, the, the, it was a four song first set, you know, which, which is even weirder if you think about it. Uh, so, you know, we didn't know if that was sort of just a, a, a freak thing, you know, uh, and it turned out to be, you know, more of something that you, you hope to get, I think. So you're right. This was a what the second four song set of the tour. Uh, it was the third, yep, of the tour. Third, wow, yep. okay. The third in six shows. So you know that that sounds like a trend. Yeah, absolutely. So the other two songs of this particular four song second set were "Slave to the Traffic Light," as we mentioned, and uh, "Loving Cup," and then there was an unusual encore of Gaiuti. And I'm wondering, is there anything else that needs to be said about this set? Because uh, you have to speak now or forever hold your tweets. Doesn't that sound was like... an unusual encore. Um, yeah. You know, it's, it's certainly not what we were hoping to hear or expecting to hear. But, you know, uh, after a, a, a lot more experience with Fish... It's funny because it's what Trey wanted to play. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and that would become a theme of, of encores, you know, that would make me laugh going going forward. Um up to and including a Friday a Friday encore once that I that that people didn't appreciate. I, I oh, I remember and a secret smile encore. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, it's been some buttes. Yeah, I, I'm I'm genuinely a fan of all that. So, so I, that's the thing. I I, I always like songs. Uh, uh, you know, you know, I like fish songs. I'm a song guy. Um, I so I don't understand the anger. Sometimes I didn't get the anger. You know, for the um the wingsuit Halloween, I didn't get it at all. Um, and and playing Friday, I was like, oh, cool Friday, and everyone else is like, what? It's like. You committed a, an incredible sin. I forget what show that was. I'm sure you guys know. I think it was like, a, like maybe like a 2.0 Camden show, perhaps. Also, the thing is, though, is when you put us, even Secret Smile, an encore, it's supposed to be a punctuation mark, but I understand it's not necessarily like a character zero punctuation mark. It's supposed to also, um, especially for, for shows like they were playing in 97, it kind of brings you back to Earth. You know, it's kind of a gentle landing gear. Okay, cool. We're going to hear a secret smile. We're going to, you know, sing along or secretly smile. <laughs> and, <Yeah. laughs> then, and then, you know, be be out and, and be able to hopefully be able to be in shape to drive or get home safely one way or another. We committed a cardinal sin by talking about two... Uh, 2.0 songs in in a 1.0 podcast, but <laughs> it's it's all good. And um, this show has now gone on longer technically than ACDC bag. So that has to do it for us today. Um, thank you so much, my friend, uh, Craig Hillwig, and my friend and co-host, Benji Eisen, and also to RJB because you never know, he might be listening. <laughs> um, <laughs> and thanks to all of you for listening and to the Osiris team, especially Eric Limarenko and Matt Dwyer, for making all this work from behind the scenes. Before you switch back to live fish, let me give a quick shout out to Cash or Trade, the world's only social network where fans buy, sell, and trade tickets at face value. If you need tickets for something you want to go to or have tickets for something you can't, then go right now to cashortrade.org. And also please remember to review and subscribe wherever you listen or watch. Be kind and rewind and come back tomorrow for another blockbuster, another blockbuster show. Uh, that's that's from Benji. Benji's joke that I just flubbed. Another <laughs> blockbuster show from Hampton Coliseum. See you back on board the mothership. Till then, you know what to do. That's right. Blaze on. Thank you, Craig. Thank you. Thanks, Benji. See you guys. Um, thanks, Craig. Osiris. Hi, I'm Daniela Clark. I'm Barbara Ann Wild. And we are the Honest AF Show. Our podcast is real, honest conversation with our celebrity friends and pros. Covering our anything but average rock and roll lifestyles. All while tackling the hell that is aging and the battle of beauty. Oh yeah, nothing is off the table. The Honest AF Show is available wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, this is Henry Kay, host of the number one music history podcast, Rootsland. Come with me on a journey to Kingston, Jamaica, where we explore the world of reggae music and the untold stories of some of the genre's greatest legends. From the ghettos and tenement yards where the music was born to the island's iconic recording studios. We are so excited to team up with Osiris Media, the leading storyteller in music. Because as you'll hear, sometimes the story is the best song.